is Mike Crane. On behalf of the Walton Supply Chain Center, we want to thank you for joining our podcast today. Today, it's all about on-shelf availability and the role of RFID at retail. I'm joined by Justin Pattons, who is the Executive Director of the Auburn RFID Lab, and Matthew Russell, who is the Director of the RFID Lab as it relates to retail. Let's get started. Awesome, Matt. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, welcome to, as Matt mentioned, a beautiful day in Northwest Arkansas, Auburn. Hey, Auburn University, what's the weather like down there? I don't decide if I want a vacation there next week or not. What do you think? It's pouring down rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be surprised if our uh, internet cuts out. Oh, no. I, well, it is, that's what it usually does. It usually comes this way. I think, the Matt, the last couple of days we've had uh, torrential downpours, especially at night. So mm -hmm. the dogs definitely don't like that with the thunder and the lightning. And it's August. We're not supposed to have tornado threats in August, but unfortunately we have we have done that. So mm -hmm. uh, let's take a couple of seconds to introduce uh, <laughs> Justin and Matthew. And, and, and Justin, I think most of the folks on the, on the line have have probably had a chance to interact with you. You and I have, have had these podcasts uh, slash conversations several times, but for those of you that may be new uh, to the space of RFID, why don't you uh, introduce yourself for them real quick? Matthew, you want to go first? Sure. I'm Matthew Russell. I'm our director of retail here at the RFID lab. Um, been here for about five years, have a background. Um, well, actually started as a student and then supported a lot of the work that we do with data and, and then now help support uh, some of the broader retail projects that we have. So um, excited to be here, Mike. Um, worked with Mike for a while, so I've known him for, for a good bit now. Justin? So my name is Justin Patton. I've been uh, running the RFID lab uh, for since the beginning. So we started the lab in 2005 there at the University of Arkansas, and uh, uh, we've been down here at Auburn for the past nine years, since 2014. So. Uh, I'm in charge of making sure that everything is uh, uh, running smoothly, I guess, for the lab. And then Matthew, we were lucky enough to, to be able to get Matthew in to uh, head up everything on retail. Uh, as we've grown, uh, it became important to make sure that we had somebody with their eye on the ball across the whole industry. So uh, uh, he's uh, uh, the go-to expert on that space. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, Matt, we, we you are you are a student at the Auburn University, right? And you were you graduated when? Mm -hmm. Uh, two two years ago, a little over two years ago. Now, um, I was a student in business analytics, so background in, in data data analytics. Um, stayed with the lab for a year, then I actually left and went and worked. Uh, did some work with Ford uh, for the new Bronco, and then uh, Justin was able to get me to come back and. Ended up back at the lab and in the RFID world, so I couldn't escape it. Yeah, so so I see I see him as part of the 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 participants uh, or at least the attendees. Doctor Hargrave, you always said Justin Patton couldn't sell, but he clearly sold Matthew on coming back, and it was one of the best sales he ever made. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, we're happy to, we're happy to have you back, Matthew. We really are. Um, and, and that kind of leads into just in the first question, which is you know the RFID was back in two thousand five. It was University of Arkansas. It was that really, really hot handle, uh, Hannah's candle factory, uh, all that kind of stuff. It was case and pallet, et cetera. And when I, I think there was maybe I can count them on one hand, the number of people you actually had there. Now you literally have a lab that's moved to Auburn University. And by the way, it was only focused primarily on retail and supply chain and things like that. Well, fast forward to now, you got over 100 people in the lab. You're in all kinds of verticals. So, so obviously, 
Matthew is standing up the vertical for retail, but you have other verticals as well. Just walk us through that transition of, of, of what you're working on now, what's your focus there, and how has it migrated over the years? There's been a lot of growth. You know, um, currently we have 10 full-time um, staff, and then we have uh, 107 uh, part-time students that work down here on various different projects and uh and then a lot of faculty on campus that obviously do their thing as well so um you know been real heavy in retail since the beginning that's where we got our start right there with that first walmart study back in 2005 with case and pellet and the supply chain but what we find is that uh retail doesn't own all the supply chain problems in the world uh lots of people have similar issues um so um rfid is pretty broad base um, we've done a lot of work even since the beginning with uh, aviation <clears throat> on aviation manufacturing and then more recently for the commercial aviation for like baggage tracking and, and trying to get into uh, some of the consumables on the aircraft and things like that. Um, there's uh, a, a lot of work going on right now in the food space with some of the restaurants and the QSRs that are starting up RFID programs for the Food Safety Modernization Act compliance and other things like that and, you know, animal tracking, you name it, somebody's put an RFID tag on it at some point. But our goal at its core is we want to serialize inventory. So it's really an accounting problem more than anything, moving us from quantity accounting for inventory in the supply chain to serialized unit level track and traceability. And uh, RFID um, has been through a lot of ups and downs over the years, but it's a broad technology base and uh, it has served us well. And, and with things like COVID, it's just continued to gain momentum and increase because um, um, we're becoming more and more apparent that we have supply chain problems that need to be resolved with uh, more tech, and um, and that helps bring uh, more attention to the lab. But uh, the most important thing of the lab is the students that are graduating out. Um, so the whole goal and the purpose of this engine is to drive uh, uh, students that are getting degrees in various different majors and going out into the market space and then hoping to get jobs, and then uh, they hire the next generation and so on and so forth. Just every once in a great while, we reach back out and pull one back in like Matthew. <laughs> we just can't do without. <laughs> so anyway, that's the point. Well, and it's a, and it's an incredible model that you built because, you know, I, I can only speak when I was going through school. Yes, they had colleges back then. Matthew, don't get smart. I know where you're thinking. Well, they had colleges way back then. You would you would all do everything through textbook. And if you were fortunate enough, you got to do a summer internship with a company. But some of the students in your lab, I mean, specifically you, you get a chance to work with specific projects with multiple retailers and CPG brand owners, et cetera. You get exposure to the industry, which just continues to, you start, you almost are doing an interview process. And I would think it makes it much easier to place those students within those companies once the, once the degree stops, right? When did you get your degree? Correct. That would be, that would be the hope anyway, for sure. Yes. That's the plan. All right. So retail, Matt, lots of stuff going on in retail, you know, kind of walk us through what some of your top line thoughts are of the retail industry. You were kind of doing the business analytic work before, but what are some of the retail, you know, opportunities that you see on the horizon? Cause you're over kind of all of retail right now. What, what's, what's, what's hot, what's mm -hmm. not, what's going on? Yeah, I think, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there was a lot of question what's going to happen to, to brick and mortar retail, right? Everything was very much focused on, on e-commerce and, and omni-channel and how do we get you know product out in the most effective way if, if customers aren't necessarily going back into stores. Um, I think now we're, we're definitely seeing that that has switched. Like we're pretty surprised by the amount of effort that's going into brick and mortar stores. Um, a lot of 
new technologies, not just RFID, but also looking at computer vision, um, other radio technologies. I think there's a lot of effort that we're seeing being put into um, you know, efficiencies in brick and mortar stores. Um, and then on the RFID specific front, it's, you know, it seems like almost every retailer now is just looking at RFID and sort of asking that question of, do we need to be doing this or, you know, how do we do it? Um, and, and trying to jump in there and, and get on that. And even retailers that have been uh, on that RFID train for a while uh, now are looking to expand to, to different categories, um, different products that, you know, we may not have even thought could be tagged before. There's pretty much everything in a retail store at this point has been tagged. Um, and so I think, you know, high level, I think there's a lot of excitement around that in retail, um, but also around other technologies. Um, it's, there's a lot of exploration going on. Yeah, so I see expansion a couple different ways, right? And you, you probably have seen it more than anybody. So RFID used to be apparel. We can do this for apparel and maybe shoes, right? Nothing outside of that. Many, many retailers are making it very public that they're going after a lot of categories outside apparel, including general merchandise. Some of them are looking at food, et cetera. Don't get specific about which retailers are doing it. But what are the, some of the new categories that you're seeing being asked? Uh, that's a question for either one of you. What are the new categories outside of apparel that you're seeing be RFID being applied to for retail? Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, a lot of, like you said, general merchandise. So uh, home and office supplies, uh, all sorts of, you know, everything in that category. Sporting goods, we're seeing a lot of that now uh, that's being tagged. A lot in the automotive space. So you know, tires, uh, different fluids, batteries. Um, if it, if it can be tagged, then, then odds are someone's looked into how they can tag it. Um, and even now looking beyond that, you know, items like pet food and, and tools and, um, you know, the tool industry is, is huge. And there's a lot of interest there, I think, in, in tagging those types of items. So it's, it's really broad and you're right. It did start with apparel, but now it's sort of expanded out into just about everything that uh, the has potential. The interest typically tends to be based on a few different factors. Um, <clears throat> one is substitutability. So if you have an inventory item with a low substitutability, like, uh, for example, blue jeans, if they don't have your size, you can't buy another size because it doesn't work that way. Whereas ketchup may have a high substitutability because if they don't have, you know, brand A, then you'll buy brand B. Um, and then there's also a, a skew complexity. So um, categories that have high skew complexity, again, denim. There's a reason everybody starts with blue jeans, high skew complexity, low substitutability, lots of inventory problems. People want to resolve it. Uh, these categories that are coming up now, the new factor that's being added in there is things like, uh, as Matt mentioned, electronics and sporting goods. Those are heavily researched online and targeted purchase buys. So people don't just walk into a store and say, I'm looking for a new TV today. Typically, they've spent time, they know exactly what TV they want to get before they go down there and purchase it. So when people are, are sniping purchases like that in stores, um, it's very important that your inventory accuracy be really tight. So um, those, and I, I didn't really realize this, but sporting goods is right up there with electronics in terms of upfront research before people go buy things. Um, so those areas have been been uh, uh, have a focus. Like the, probably the, the golden... Um, the, the, the one that everybody wants that we're not quite there yet is cosmetics because again, very low substitutability, very high skew complexity, uh, lots of, uh, uh, pre-search, pre-search before, um, uh, purchase those type things. But, um, but yeah, that's been the, the kind of the, the growth path. 
Yeah. So, so I, I, yeah, I think that's exact. That's very, very well said. Um, and I, and Matthew, I think I know what you'll, what you'll answer this question, but when you think about a mass merchandiser, like a target or a Walmart, et cetera, do you see in your lifetime where everything in the store is going to be RFID tagged, including produce and canned vegetables, et cetera, or is this going to be a particular technology that works for a certain type of product very well? I think it's dependent on if the physics allows it, right? Yeah. There are there are physics limitations to, to tagging products. And at the end of the day, if something can't be tagged, then it probably won't be tagged. But yeah. if it can be tagged, I, I do expect end of my lifetime that it probably it probably will be. Yep. We and so so as part of that, I guess my question is what are the categories that are currently considered to be difficult to RFID tag because of the metal and liquid? that you guys think a industry call to action with some of the tag providers looks like help. I mean, for example, I know one of the ones that I've, I've heard about, about before is cans of paint. How do you tag cans of paint when they're metal cans and there's liquid inside, et cetera. So that may be one example. Do you have other, you know, Justin, you just mentioned your cosmetics. I've heard that as well. That's really important, but you can't put a great big tag on a thing of lipstick because the, the, the aesthetics don't work out very well. What are the categories you are trying to push the industry a little bit, uh, specifically tag providers, to come up with a form factor that will work? So, <clears throat> I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Anything with a lot of uh, metal in it is can be a challenge. Uh, anything with water in it can be a challenge. And typically, even then, we've still overcome a lot of those uh, with tagging. <clears throat> then you have to worry about context, right? Because it's one thing to read, like that can of paint example, if I've just got one of them sitting in front of me on a shelf and I'm trying to scan it with a handheld, it's a very different scenario if you have 12 of them in a box with all kinds of other stuff around it in that box that is also metal and liquid that is interfering with that signal. So um, I think really the biggest uh, uh, concern up till now for RFID tagging has been the size of the tags and the size of the inlays because everybody wants little tiny tags. So um, um, we still are working through some physics on what you're attaching things to, but um, I think that uh, making sure that you can get them down to an appropriate size so that it doesn't require a big packaging change has been the, the, the most um, difficult. I mean, there's a few categories too that just continue to surprise. Um, candles has been really hard um, <laughs> because I don't know why it's, we, the physics are very inconsistent for candles when it comes to RF waves. Who would have guessed? I mean, if you had said, hey, pick all the stuff in GM in this store. I mean, we've been around RF for a long time, but every once in a while, something will just throw you a curveball and you just don't know. So, uh, uh, you know, one thing that uh, uh, was another weird one we saw in the past was those uh, a little microwavable like ravioli bowls or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you put a tag on facing the antenna. It doesn't read so good. You flip it around on the back so that it's away from the antenna. It works great. Who knows? But uh, a lot of the stuff, especially things with uh, uh, cardboard boxes and packaging, even the stuff with foil linings and stuff like that, it's not so bad anymore. So, um, um, but, um, you know, I think part of this too, Mike, is the important question is there's a difference between the physics being worked out and saying, hey, here's where you can put tags on a box. And then somebody going through and doing the industrial engine, the, the industrial engineers, they have to set up how are they going to put the tags on these things if it's a slightly new uh, uh, packaging production design. And, and that's where we really leverage uh, the, the product manufacturers themselves and then uh, also their label and packaging partners to get that done. So they're getting it done. They're getting there. Awesome. 
I've I've actually got uh, a good friend of mine from Fuji Films who's who is on the call. He actually asked me a question, which is well, it's kind of a comment. Our installed film for the Fuji Film are currently out of scope, but there's high theft, and unfortunately, they're out of scope. Persa Auburn. So, what is it about the contents inside the box with Fuji Film? I'm assuming it's the aluminum foil inside the box that makes that a particularly difficult category. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not sure if all, all film is out of scope for all of the, the, the current um, retail projects. Okay. Um, you know, okay. film in the past is kind of like printer ink. Um, it typically has a little foil pouch on the inside. It's not mm -hmm. as bad as it used to be. Okay. Um, you know, we could put some cardboard. Uh, typically, there's some type of a cardboard outer box or case or something around there as well. Some of it may have to do with the case pack, too, when they put things together. Um, but, um, you know, usually um, there's some type of, of uh, resolution. Um, depending on the shelf cap configuration, if it's retail on sales floor, or if somebody's looking for it from supply chain for claims compliance or something like that too. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, you typically want, it's a size of inlay type of inlay type situation. Gotcha. So, so one of the things I want to do is kind of transition and, and Dan, I got your question on the sensormatic tags. I'm going to kind of, kind of come around to that because that, that'll come up here in a second. I'm responding to a question I've got. Uh, so that's the category roadmap. Sounds like things like general merchandise for sure. The whole cosmetic space is an opportunity. Justin, you just mentioned RFID in the food industry, both quick service restaurants, but you know grocery retailers are going to start to look at leveraging RFID for aging, in aging inventory and markdowns and stuff like that. So that's the category growth. I don't think it's ever going to be the entire box, my personal opinion, but I think it's going to be to continue to grow and be kind of a, the first solution that people think about. Justin, from a, so, so that's categorically. From a functional standpoint, when you look at the base of the triangle being on-hand accuracy and visibility, that's why most people get into this game. But there's a whole bunch of other things that you can do with it all the way to the vision. The future vision is seamless checkout. I remember in the 70s, that IBM commercial that still was really, really hard because we still don't know how to do that, right? Pick up stuff and walk out the store and, and it takes it out of your credit card. So what is that hierarchy? So if, we're, if, if Matthew just walked through the category expansion, what are those business uses like shrink and asset protection and things like that, that you're seeing that the, the retailers are asking for? We've seen a lot of people come in at different ways in retail in particular. And most people focus on store operations first because it's so messy. Like mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a Six Sigma customer. I've heard Hardgrave say that many times. So you can have a really tight, you know, DC and warehouse and supply chain operation. But as soon as it gets to the store, like all bets are off. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, um, um, you know, the, the inventory accuracy fundamental is most important. And a lot, it took us a long time to get a lot of retailers to admit that they had an issue. Some of them still won't. I mean, you remember early on, Mike, you would go to retailers and it's like, what's your in-store inventory accuracy? Oh, it's 94%. And like, you know, <laughs> come back to us when you come back to reality, because it's not, you know, it's typically more in the 60% range. Post COVID, we've seen that go down. Uh, generally, it hovers uh, uh, around the 50 to 55 percent range for, for most retailers. And that's not just apparel. That's across the board. It's pretty terrible. So, um, you know, trying to get the fundamental inventory accurate makes everything else work. As you said, like there's a lot of stuff we can do for customer experience and, and loss prevention. And there's some fancy things that we can do, I think, in stores to get a little bit with customer insights and things like that as well. But um Inventory accuracy is a fundamental. So you got to get your fundamentals under control. You got to get them right. 
you got to get good at it before you go out there and start trying to do more advanced stuff with it um, and, and flex your muscles a little bit. And, and it typically inventory accuracy is what drives that base to get everything tagged up or to get it in system. Uh, and then from there, that's when you start layering on uh, uh, more of the uh, category specific or the item specific use cases. Got it. So I want to I want to loop back to Dan's uh, question from Fuji, um, because there has been an, a long term discussion regarding sensor technology to use for asset protection or loss prevention purposes. Mm -hmm. For years, it's been EAS, right? Electronic article surveillances, whether it's a sensormatic or a checkpoint, doesn't matter, different, different solutions, etc. But they're the ones that do the what I call the nuisance alarm that goes off and everybody goes, ah, things have been making noise all day. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Because somebody forgot to demagnetize it. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing any direction from the retailers to stop putting electronic article surveillance on product and just put an RFID tag? Because I'm assuming RFID has the ability to not only alarm at the door if that's what you want, but also provide specific information about what item left the store. Any, And again, I'm not asking you to share anything confidential, but do you think that's a direction that the industry is looking at? I think right now retail is getting, you know, hammered on LP and AP. Yep. I mean, I, not to get political or anything, but I mean, we basically decriminalize shoplifting for most of the United States. So, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you could just, it's like an ATM. Um, don't do it, but you're probably not gonna get in trouble if you do. So that that's kind of the, the, the approach, I think a lot of times. And uh, the stores really feel that. And um, I think that anything they can do to enhance visibility, and I think what most retailers want is what they would call proactive LP or proactive AP rather than after the fact. So they want to stop the theft event or the loss event before it gets to the exit, not catch people out there in the parking lot because that's it's too late. It's paying the butt. It's messing and everything. So first step of that is just get visibility of the problem. Because shrink is shrink, we don't know what it is. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, Brand used to joke about this. Brand Overston, um, you know, it, uh, he would say like they would do these studies all the time, and they was like, "What are the sources of shrink?" And it was always like a three-way split between internal theft, external theft, and just general loss. And it was always three-way because nobody knew; they just guessed. So that's kind of how it fell out. But I think once we can kind of quantify that and understand like who is taking things and then who is losing things and what is the actual issue here. Um, then I think we can get a better handle on what we should do to resolve it. In terms of replacing traditional EAS systems, I do know that most of the companies that have sold traditional EAS systems also have RFID systems for the future, but it's not a one-to-one -one parity, right? So like um, if you're a um, target, for example, and you have RFID on all your peril as you do, and I'm not saying anything in particular about what Target is or isn't doing, but, you know, it may require more of that store before you want to invest in infrastructure just to do RFID for an exit control solution. You kind of need a broader base of tag stuff out there before it makes sense. And that's not for Target, that's for every retailer. But if you're a vertical brand or a vertical retailer and you control your own supply and you tag up all your stuff on your own and you know your tagging base is good, it's much easier and much faster for them to move to some type of a monitoring system it's not just exit scanners, it's it's the cycle counts and comparing those to, to current data. Honestly, a lot of shrink happens on receiving. In apparel, I'd say probably on certain items, the majority of shrink happens on receiving yep. than on customer stealing on the outbound. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's easier once you get that source tagging base there to, to justify that, that shift. Yeah, I would agree with everything you said. Here's the one thing that I would like to build on and, and hopefully the industry hears this. If I've made a choice, 
whether I chose to or because a retailer asked me to, to put an RFID tag on it, don't make put an EAS tag at the same time. Allow that RFID tag to be used as EAS because the reality is I'm a retailer or I'm a supplier and I got to figure out, well, some of my business is going to a sensormatic, some's going to a checkpoint. Now they're asking for RFID. I'm just continuing to add cost to the, pro the product. And I think RFID has the potential to replace all of that with a single. So yes, cantaloupes won't be tagged anytime soon, right? I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's 100%. But if you're asking people to RFID tag, let's figure out how to leverage that tag as an asset protection uh, tool as well. I think that was, that's kind of the, the point. So. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first part of our talk about RFID in retail. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with the folks at Auburn talking about RFID in retail.